we are free to imagine Jesus in whatever way we'd like to, except that for that pesky problem that he actually did become a person <laughs> and show us exactly what we needed to know about him. I'm Anne, and I don't know how to start a podcast that doesn't say uh, welcome to the Preventing Grace podcast, but this is not Preventing Grace. This is Stand Firm, and there are three of us here today. Um, besides me, I, I'm Anne, and I'm a very important Anglican voice. I'm just kidding. Um, I have the two other main important Anglican voices in the Anglican world, and that's Rolinda Greger and Liza Koch. And um, what we have to say is, you know, probably not going to shock anyone, actually, if you're in the Anglican world. <laughs> actually, Stand Firm is bigger than just Anglicanism. I need to keep saying that. We have all kinds of different evangelical people on Stand Firm. Uh, and we thought we needed a more, um, another counter voice to the very, very um, male um, Stand Firm podcast of J.D. Koch, Matt Kennedy, and Nick Lannon. Um, so just in the interest of diversity and inclusion and equality, and all of those important things for today's time, we thought we would give, we would come together and have our own conversation. So, uh, Rolinda, I think we're going to say, we're going to say who we are. Rolinda has a long, long history in the Anglican world, and you should say um, who you are and why we, why you matter, why do you matter? <laughs> well, I'm Rolinda Greger, and I am on the vestry, the leadership team of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, am a warrior in the Anglican War since about, uh, well, I could see it coming in 2003, so it's been a, a long time, um, and uh, just recently, uh, in the past uh, couple of years, uh, was able to leave the Episcopal Church and help start uh, Grace Anglican, which has been a real joy. And of course, I learned a lot from my uh, two colleagues here and uh, their their husbands. Um, JD was uh, my former rector, and uh, listened to Matt and Anne a lot. So that's me. Uh, and I'm, I'm Liza Koch and my husband, JD, um, and I live in South Carolina, right outside of Charleston. We've been here for two years since we were with Rolinda in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, we are Anglicans now. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, so I've been in the sort of Anglican style world for my whole life. And was my parents were sort of reluctantly in the Episcopal Church for a long time, praying for a revival from within it and quite getting quite frustrated as it just got sort of worse and worse and didn't, they didn't know where to go. And they helped start one of the first um, Anglican churches, the, the first one in Raleigh, um, I guess 10 or 12 years ago, I don't know, and as, a, as lay people. 
And um, now they're could they couldn't be happier <laughs> being in the Anglican Church as, as opposed to the Episcopal Church. And JD and I were uh, studying abroad for a long time, or, and we're in Europe through working with the Church of England, which has its own problems. And I'm sorry to say that it, it did, was not like some sort of utopia apart from the problems that we were having here in the Episcopal Church. I was, cause we were sort of hoping that and it just didn't work out that way, but has its own problems. And when we moved back to the US, we were surprised to be called, to feel called to a, a conservative Episcopal Church in Kentucky. And there was a lot of fruit from those days, um, but it was also a struggle to still be in the Episcopal Church. And we, that was always a rub for us. We were, our hearts are really, with the ACNA already, and we were trying to reconcile that with where we were, and so now we are really thankful to be officially Anglican and no longer um, in the Episcopal Church. And so Rolinda's a dear friend, and Matt and Anne have become dear friends too, and I'm excited to be doing this with you ladies, so thanks. Well, I think it's important, I mean, we we know the Anglican wars, uh, but one of the things that we knew um, when we were going through it all is that it was just small potatoes for, um, you know, what was coming down the pike. And so we have a number of examples of how bad it is for everyone else uh, on the DACA today. So, um, Relinda, you found some exciting and wonderful things on the internet <laughs> about Jesus. Yeah. Should we dive right in? Let's. Tell us I, what you found. It was I, apparently a Sunday school promo ad from the Church of Iceland, which is Lutheran. It's a nas national church. It's Lutheran, and it featured a transgender Jesus who really needed to pick one or the other because Jesus had breasts and a beard. Um, so let's put a foot in one camp or another. Um, but really frightening that that was um, their take, that they wanted to be open to all people. And one of the um, journalists that covered it wrote that this was, I don't know if it, it wasn't an exact quote, so I don't know if the church spokesperson used that word, but he said it was um, a personification of Jesus that would appeal to some people. And I thought, well, wait a second, Jesus is a person. He doesn't need to be personified. He is fully God, fully man. So I don't know if the church didn't understand who Jesus is or the journalist, but uh, really a sad way to get people in Sunday school. That's a really interesting point that you bring out about that, about Jesus not needing to be personified because it reminds me of Talladega Nights. I don't know if you ever saw that, but <laughs> where they sit around the table and they talk about how they like to imagine Jesus. So like, you know, I like to imagine Jesus in all these different ways. Like I like baby Jesus and I like, you know, Jesus in a cut off jean jacket or whatever. I can't remember the exact. It's a, a t-shirt that has a, um, Tucks on the front because it's right. like, like I'm, I'm formal, but I I'm down like to party. party. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like we are free to imagine Jesus in whatever way we'd like to, except that for that pesky problem that he actually did become a person <laughs> and show us exactly what we needed to know about him. So other than that, we can do what we want. Well, we don't know what he looked like though. So, and I've been running into different places all over the all over the corners of the internet that Jesus 
Well, God is actually intersex because the whole of the Holy Spirit and the Father and Jesus, the gender or sex of Jesus is actually up for grabs because we don't know, you know, God, God himself was in for some gender bending because he decided to take on a body. <laughs> um, I haven't been like, I haven't read any of this stuff really carefully because it's so creepy. Um, mm. I don't, I don't, I've had, I haven't really wanted to know, but I have come in, I've, I've been running into it. And this particular picture, the post has actually been taken down. I tried to watch the video or there was like a Facebook post um, and I've only been able to see descriptions of it and the picture of Jesus because I guess they got enough pushback that they, they took it away, which is a little bit comforting. Yeah. So the, the church of Iceland isn't in a good way. No, That's I would say it must thing. not be. <laughs> the only good thing was at least there were some people who were offended. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There um, seemed to be a, a good amount of pushback. Did you watch the, was there a video? It looks like, or there was a Facebook post that says it's been removed. Yeah, it was, well, there was, um, the Daily Mail kind of put it on the map, but some other people covered it. The, so it, it has, you know, the Jesus prancing, of course, with a rainbow. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Sunday school at your church. <laughs> and Jesus is doing that, you know, in the movie, oh, that's very funny. Actually, it was a really violent movie, but the first scene was really funny with George Carlin unveiling a buddy Christ. Oh, yeah, the buddy Christ. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? And he's like, doing this sort of, mm -hmm. um, it kind of looks like Jesus is doing that and he's mm -hmm. kind of winking and he actually looks like George Carlin if, if he was going to gender bend. <laughs> I feel like this Jesus, uh, well, what is it, what does it say about the church of Iceland that they feel like this is going to get people into church because they're mm -hmm. having big, uh, big decline in numbers. Yeah. What is well, that? I mean, isn't that the promise that if you are more diverse and inclusive mm -hmm. and you let everybody in, isn't that going to save yes. your ASA? Yes. And I thought it was interesting in the article about this picture that it was saying that the, this is part of a whole greater ad campaign, that they're going to continue personifying Jesus in this way. And right. it's going to cost about $2 million Icelandic dollars. So uh, I don't know how many that is but two million, two million of their dollars. And uh, that it's most of that money has come from the bishop. So this is like, this is coming from the top levels of the church where the bishop's like, this is it guys. <laughs> this is what we need. Our numbers are tanking, but this is going to pull things, turn things around. Cause these kids are going to want to come to this like creepy Jesus who is, you know, not a, a man or a woman, but is both. Um, yeah. And that's, that's always, I mean, how many years have we been hearing that? It's that that is the great benefit of having company Episcopal Church. Like we were at the forefront of hearing the voices constantly saying, "We have got to change what we're doing, or we're going to become obsolete." People aren't young. People are not going to come. Young people are not going to be interested unless we become more like the culture. I mean, we've been hearing that forever, and um, it doesn't. If you just look at the numbers, that doesn't seem to be paying off for any denomination that's gone down that route. So. 
they're going to try it, I guess. They're going to keep trying it. Well, and they said in their official statement that the, the goal was to emphasize diversity, neither to hurt people nor shock them. Um, they said it's just as important for us to bring attention to diversity as it is to respect the opinions of those who don't like this representation of Christ. But you can't make up who Jesus is. I mean, he was a man. Uh, he wasn't old enough to have man boobs, and he couldn't have been fat enough to have man boobs. So <laughs> where, do, where do they come up with this to remake him? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. He died as a very young, fit person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it goes with the whole um, children will love to think about sex motif that we're having. Mm -hmm. You know, children, this is something that children will love. They, it, This is so great for them to consider what their own sex and gender is. Mm -hmm. And they would like to think about that with Jesus. You know, of course, young children would like to think about um, what sex and gender Jesus was and whether or not he was transgender. I mean, I've taught a lot of Sunday school over the last, you know, while I am now trying to open it up again in the time of COVID, which just rots. And I, I've had a lot of experience with children. I've never had a young child come to me ever and inquire into the sex and gender preferences of Jesus or their parents or anyone at all because they don't care and they're not, you know, young children are not interested in that. They, they have other concerns and actually children are one of the few demographics that is willing to take God on his own terms mm -hmm. without being offended by it. It's the one, <laughs> it's the one group of people you can read the Bible with and they will take it. Um, on its own terms and be curious and interested. Uh, so I can see why you would need to start so young with this particular agenda because, you know, <laughs> they're not interested. They need to be indoctrinated more than anyone else. They're not interested at all. Um, except if you tell them that it's very moral, you know, to be a good person, you need to think about whether or not Jesus was a man or a woman or a combination of a man and a woman or something because children usually do want, you know, they want goodness. They want beauty. They're interested in those kinds of things. Um, so what better place to start? I guess it's really sick. It's really, really sick to, to think that this would be, would, would make parents. And you know, the this will bring certain kinds of parents to bring their children to church. This mm -hmm. is like having uh, the 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 in the library mm -hmm. the, um, the story hour. Exactly, that's what yeah. I was thinking about. It reminded yeah. me of the um, drag, drag queen, queen story, story hours. hour. Mm -hmm. There you are. Yeah, all those little kids, and then some enormous man comes in, and and all the parents are like, <laughs> you. <laughs> Oh, honey, this is so, this is great. So special, yeah. you know, and, and kids who are needy pick up on that real quick. Like, oh, I'll get, you know, my mom, my mama will love me if I love this man. 
And so needy little kids are all open their arms wide to the thing that their parents want them to love. Um, so it's so, it's so um, abusive really to push this thought on people who wouldn't ever think about it on their own. That's a great point. That's such a good point about children not even considering these things at, at, at a young age. Like not, like children are not deeply questioning like who they want to have sex with at age five, age six, age seven. They're just not like, so we in this culture at this point are projecting that down onto them and saying, Oh, well, he's clearly gay, you know, at age six or whatever. It's so obvious. It's like, he's not thinking about having sex at age six. Um, he's not, he's not, that's not what they're looking for at this point. And that's not just not how they're not developed enough, but to, to put that on them at such a young age and start, like you're saying, indoctrinating them that they need to be constantly looking inside themselves, wondering who they really are in this respect, what their feelings are telling them. Um, you know, considering that anyone they meet, although they look like a man or a woman could be something else. Like the whole world is not what it seems to be when you dismantle just the basic binary of that's probably a man, that's probably a woman because those are the only options. Um, so it does, it's, it call, makes them call everything into question at such a young age. It's really destabilizing. And you're right, it puts such a premium right now on not only victimhood with the intersectionality, but also like you're saying, like if you're, if you're the type of parent that really values you know, being woke in this particular area, then your kids pick up on that. Of course they do. And they think, oh, well, that's, I guess that's the best possible thing is to be something other than what I am. Right. What I'm feeling, you know, if I'm a boy and I don't, I'm not, you know, I need to feel, I need to feel a certain way in order mm -hmm. to enact my boyness. And if I can't do that, then I must be a girl, right. obviously. Right. <laughs> the next obviously no you're either superman or yeah or maybe a pony one day or <laughs> um spider-man yeah or a princess princess yeah mm -hmm. i it, the um i was gonna say the thing the thing that jumps out at me just the difference between like teaching a child about Jesus and teaching a child about transgender Jesus is that the needs of the, of the culture and the parent are, are absolutely foisted on the child with the transgender Jesus. So in that case, the child really has to conform to the, the imposition of the culture and the parent. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would say good Sunday school is always about getting out of the, the adult, getting out of the way of the relationship that the child and God are, are sort of naturally inclined to. Children in, are, have their hearts very easily inclined towards God. And most good Sunday school programs just sort of, you know, set the tone in the space and proclaim the word. And then the child goes forward and gets it. Um, if you're... <laughs> If you're having to explain a lot of stuff about, you know, that it's not intuitive to the child, it's possible that you're wrong <laughs> um, in terms of spiritual things. Um, 
it's not really indoctrination if you're doing it correctly for very young children Mm -hmm. if you're bringing them to jesus it's not indoctrination you're just announcing something that they already recognize and already see very easily and um they they you're you're just making it clearer and plainer yeah it just that just occurred to me just now it's good well that's that's of course the the exact opposite of how it's presented in the culture because the culture says transgender Jesus is the liberating Jesus, right? So that's free, that's open, that's non-closed-minded, you know, that's progressive, that's um, that's non-judgmental. And what we're offering by reading the Bible to our children, of course, is closed-minded indoctrination and um, stifling for a human person. So they, the people that, that drew that picture and that ad campaign is sort of based on what, I mean, what we would say is a lie that the personified embodied Jesus in the Bible is too restrictive. And what we need is some freedom from that, some, some space to breathe and imagine him in some other way. And that's, what's actually good for our children. Well, and if you're going to make things up, then why bother? (laughs) You know, if you're going to make up who Jesus is and then, then children start to wonder, well, why aren't they telling me the truth? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's hard enough if they hear about Santa and then wonder why Santa wasn't real. If you present Jesus, who is your made-up, open, inclusive, diverse imagination of who you want him to be, I mean, we know enough to know who he is. Mm -hmm. So to to allow people to teach falsehood, you know, just really blatant falsehood is very sad. Yeah. And it's ultimately cruel because every generation grows up and sees that their parents had feet of clay, right? We all grow up and we see, not you, mom and dad, if you're listening, but see that your parents, you know, are not perfect and they don't, we're all humans. Like we don't actually know everything come to find out your parents did the best they could, right? But they don't know everything. They're not God. But so when you grow up and you find out that your parents and the church were just making it up, it was the same as like a made, any made up storybook that had some, you know, some nuggets of truth in it maybe, but nothing lasting, nothing internal, nothing bigger than just your parents and their generation and what they thought was important. Then guess who's not coming back to church ever? Right. Yeah. The lie is really really deep and really also really dumb it's just catastrophically dumb and it yeah it's abusive yeah i feel like it's child abuse i just saw recently i didn't know this because our church really has liked the jesus storybook bible Mm -hmm. have you guys used it at all and the i discovered recently that the person who wrote it has become out has come out as gay affirming or LGBTQ affirming, and I was really horrified. I, I shouted for a whole half a day. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of problems with this Bible, just to go on a rabbit trail. One, it leaves out the central uh, parable that speaks so much to children, and that's the Good Shepherd. There's no reason to do a children's Bible and not include mm-hmm. the Good Shepherd. I, that's That shows... That shows some deep lack that I should have clued into earlier. (laughs) 
And then obviously the second thing, oh, the second thing was that it's so emotional. um, As you read it out loud, as I've read it out loud over the years, I've had to actually change some of the words since I'm going out loud because God certainly has emotions, but he's not crying all the time. Um, (laughs) And uh, so the Christology in it is amazing. So good, you know, that the Old Testament really, takes on uh, a beauty, I think, in that Bible that's really great for kids. But she came out as LGBTQ affirming, and I think that's really devastating. And I'm I'm curious about what churches that have bought the Bible and bought the program are going to do. But again, uh, children reading that Bible aren't confused about sex and gender, even. (laughs) So how is the author of the, this great children's resource suddenly so confused and so willing to just chuck Orthodox Christianity for the moment? It's, it's, that to me is more discouraging than almost anything. I, much more discouraging than this transgender Jesus in Iceland. Because mm. um, I mean, I've never been to Iceland, so I don't, I don't know how bad it is over there. <laughs> but I have a stack of Jesus Storybook Bibles in mm. my... Sunday school rooms, and I'm, I'm yep. really grieved. Are we allowed to do show notes? Like, are our, are, are our mail handlers going to let us do show notes? It's like, can we put links, links? underneath this? I don't know. We'll have to For the transgender Jesus and we the... beg for permission. Yeah, we'll beg for <laughs> I don't know. When Nick, when Nick hears about this, he's going to start crying about the... Jesus story. Does he not know? Yeah, I had heard that rumor or heard that um, sort of accusation and I was deeply disturbed by it and then chose to ignore it, (laughs) hoping that that maybe it was an oversight or I didn't, it seemed to be a little bit bit too obvious, but um, I was hoping that maybe it was a bit of a mistake or just an oversight, but um, I agree though that the, as I love that book and as, as wonderful as it is, and I think it, as great a job as it does um, showing how the overarching narrative of scripture and how God's working through the whole thing and how everything points to Jesus and he was the plan the whole time. I love all that. Um, there is a little bit of uh, definitely some over emotion on God's part, like almost like he just, you know, like the lost lost sheep or coin or whatever he just misses us so much that he's just you know it's like a piece of him's missing so he's got to come back yeah. and get us. i'm like oh that's yeah not, that's not a thing <laughs> that's not a thing for god like he's yeah. fine on his own he doesn't it's not like he just missed us being around us just couldn't live without us so he came back to get us no that's not it well and, and really is there any kids storybook bible that you could actually read to your kids without adding your own yeah. stuff Oh, I, all uh, mine are like crossed out, and reworded, like, well, like, you know, white out over it. And then Ryan <laughs> Tucker's like, why is that? Why is that written, handwritten right there? I'm like, because that was bad theology, honey. We're not going to read that. Uh, <laughs> no. The last time uh, my grandson Theo was here, I was reading to him his bedtime stuff out of the Bible. And, and my daughter just looked at me and she goes, Mom, this is pretty long. Like, that's not in the text. I go, yeah, but if you remember back, I always told more of the story. I go, and there's not enough here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like to hold up to pictures and then just 
you know, either recite the actual biblical text or um, read it from, you know, you've got you're juggling two books, you're holding up the pretty picture, and then, you know, you're, you're saying the actual um, text. I don't understand. I wish that could be a thing that somebody would beautifully illustrate, you know, snippets of actual biblical text for children. Um, not the whole thing, obviously. And I want to read the whole Bible to my three-year-olds, but why can't we have like the actual creation story as it, as it is, you know, no, pick a version. Yeah. With good, with big words, because we're blind and really good pictures. Why isn't that a thing? It's a great idea. That's your next book. Okay, I'll get right on that. Get on that. <laughs> Never <laughs> your free time. Well, I can't draw anything, so I'll just clip out the bits of text and you all can illustrate it. You can hire out the, the illustrations. Yeah. Well, so shall we, I feel like related to this and just as discouraging is that awesome, awesome movie mm -hmm. that's on Netflix called Cuties. I have not watched it. Have either of you watched it? No, I've seen clips of it, but I have not watched the full feature film at this point. Yeah, I haven't even really thought about going there for research purposes to see it. I, I, the one clip I saw was so horrible that I decided not to watch it either. And I feel like we should get rid of Netflix, but I'm tired and I got to battle it out with my family. I'm going to have to sit down and explain to them, which I probably should do. Um, why it is that Netflix, I think they would be really horrified if I s explained why we should talk about it, but it's also not a conversation I relish having over the dinner table with my young children, who are incidentally the age of the girls in this mm -hmm. movie, my two youngest are that age, so... Well, if they were going to draw attention to the sexualization of, you know, young girls that, that could have easily been done with a document you know documentary i mean because there is plenty out there if you just look at dance recitals and and cheerleading for little girls it's um beauty it's, pageants for little yeah, beauty girls pageants. all that sort of thing mm -hmm. you know there's enough there in real life without doing quote entertainment and I don't really believe that it was necessarily done as a critique. They may be saying that, but. Uh, yeah, the the person who directed it, um, it is really shocking because she's an expat or first generation in France in a Muslim community. And so it, it, that context, the being in France, I mean, this is, this wasn't made here in the States. And the Muslim community in Paris and France is, is very fraught. It's not nearly as open. I don't know. I mean, it, it, you, do, you can come straight from Mali <laughs> and land in Paris and go live in a horrible, tiny no-go zone in Paris where the police won't go. And you, and you have your 
your African community with really no outside contact, except that you send your child to French school. And then, you know, your husband goes back and gets another wife and moves that person into the other room in your tiny, tiny apartment. Um, and then you're sent home for, uh, if you're a young girl, for a female genital mutilation <laughs> or to be married to somebody much, much older than you. And it's not, there's not an integration of Muslim community into French culture at all. This is a huge, huge problem. Um, and from their perspective, you know, since they're not integrating, the things that they see kind of in their faces about Western culture are like pornography and, you know, substance abuse and in modest clothes mm -hmm. and behavior and, you know, their girls twerking <laughs> and all the things. Mm -hmm. And so they see that and they think, what are these godless heathens even doing like this is a terrible terrible place and so it, it kind of goes both ways you can see how th because they're so separated the communities there are so separated and there's there's very little overlap then they're, they're they don't understand each other and and the worst of western civilization is on display that you know the freedom and the benefits that we are so appreciate about living in a western culture are not what export as well as the mm. terrible side of it so that's that's also hard i think is that they they look at us and they're like what i mean it's just disgusting we don't want any of that for our children <laughs> we'd rather marry them off to someone older right well and they don't but they you know women coming straight off of the boat into paris aren't enjoying the benefits of western culture either right. you know their children are only encountering the really abusive sides, they themselves are not sort of becoming French right. or engaging in the way that the, the, their ma male counterparts are. You know, their husbands and sons are going out and, um, but not really, you know, it's this very cordoned off kind of life, uh, ghettoized. And yeah, I, the, the clip that I saw was so, emotionless that's what's really interested in me the expressions of the girls were completely impassable there was no emotion it yeah, would be it, dead it, eyes. it was yeah. all that same clip and it was kind of creepy because it was like all this like sassy super sexualized dancing but then with these like dead glazed over sad eyes mm -hmm. which I, mm -hmm. I mean i'm sure that was on purpose since the the creator of the show does say that she was trying to paint a picture of how this is not a good thing. But um, yeah, it was, it was pretty heartbreaking to watch that. Uh, the thing I'm struggling with right now with cuties, at least on Facebook, is watching all these people post about it. And like the, so there, when the cuties came out, there was obviously some backlash against the show, right? So people saying this is child pornography, this is sexualization of young girls, this is, you know, gross, it shouldn't happen, whatever, we're, we're canceling Netflix. And then there's been a backlash against that. And I've seen a lot of people post about how it's hypocritical to come down or to speak out against a show like Cuties for a variety of reasons, how it's 
pearl clutching and if I never hear the mm -hmm. phrase pearl clutching again I'll be so happy but so we're all just pearl clutching and basically like acting like old people who just can't get over some little cultural bump and we all we all know because we're all liberated and we're better educated and we're open-minded we know it's not a big deal but y'all are just stuck in like Victorian England or something you know the people that can't get past it whatever and so I don't know if you're seeing any of that but I'm finding that on the one hand, fascinating, on the other hand, kind of depressing, that we're not even allowed to say, this is gross. <laughs> um, there's so much other trash on Netflix and, well, everywhere. So um, it's almost as if, if you speak out against cuties, then how come you weren't upset about everything else? Well, um, if it's trashy, you know, I am upset. Is there really a purpose for this? Hmm. It's the the same idea that you know, young that children. The thing that children most are are most interested in is, is sex. <laughs> like, it's so benighted of the adult world to force children onto the turf. That I mean, we we have nothing else to talk about. We have no other interest as a culture than sex. So children must be interested in what we are, in what we're interested in. Um, yeah, that's what I, the, the idea that we're all sort of prudish because we, you know, we want to keep girls down or we don't want them to express themselves or whatever, you know, we're, yeah, pearl clutch, I kept coming across the pearl clutching thing too, um, is so, you know, it's so narrow-minded. The, the world of the adult is so narrow, so confined, so boring and the one the one realm the one demographic that had that hasn't bowed the knee to that yet will you know christians but also children must get on you will be made to care and the it's it's so discouraging yeah i felt like the yeah if you if you think i'm hidebound for disliking this or, or having objections to this movie, not even on religious grounds, just on human human rights grounds, then sure, I'll go, go ahead, call me a bigot, call me a right-wing nutjob, I'll take it. Because you all who think this is the most interesting thing in the world are so boring and narrow-minded. <laughs> mm -hmm. Good luck to you. <laughs> I don't, we don't have anything in common. Well, and whatever happened to little girls finding freedom and self-expression and yeah. school or art or music or, you know, sports, something worthwhile that actually is an accomplishment, you know, something that will take them somewhere as opposed to future pole dancer or halftime show. Right. This is a little bit like the, I don't know, was it last year? I mean, I'm never watching the Super Bowl again, but the uh, the Super Bowl, was it this year? This year has lasted forever. And there was some famous woman. You can do it, out, out there. You can do it. Who, who was there, it? I think there was a woman. It was, this was a sporting event. And everyone it was should a sporting know, event. most likely did not watch the sporting event. <laughs> no, I just watched the woman, a very famous singer. Wait, who was it? Jennifer uh, Lopez. Jennifer Lopez. With all the little girls. 
And then they like, then she like rips off most of her costume and all the little girls are twerking and, you know, and Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, if I had, if, if when I was 11, if you had been like, hey, hey, guess what I signed you up for? <laughs> would have run away from home. Like, <laughs> and not just because I'm white middle class. Like, I don't meet, you know, I, I, I know people in other cultures, girls in other cultures, even in Binghamton, who aren't in my sort of same world, and they they put on this sort of way of being as because it's expected of them, but they look very very bored while they're doing it. And if you if you ask them if they want to learn how to finger knit or knit for real, or um, if you ask them what they're really interested in, you you to spend fifteen minutes, but you get past the sexualization of everything pretty quick because there's a lot more down there. Well, I think you make such a good point about how one dimensional it is. It's like, okay, with the halftime show, whatever year that was, whatever year it is now, um, with JLo and those girls, it's exactly right. It's like, okay, the, the message was we're gonna, we're strong women and these are the next generation of strong women and we're gonna be liberated and powerful. And how do you do that? The formula is quite simple. You are an hypersexualized in on stage. That's the only, that's the answer. So it's, you're right. It's not, it's not based on accomplishment. Although sure you can be a great dancer, obviously it's not based on education or ideas or anything you could really contribute to society as a whole. It's, it's sexual liberation. It's really that simple. And that's just tied into all sorts of other problems that we have as a culture, the, the gender issues that we're having, the abortion question. I mean, that's just, it touches on everything. Mm-hmm. The sexual liberation is just the greatest lie that we have been buying into for generations now. Like, If we can be totally liberated sexually, then all of our wildest dreams will come true. And has it happened? I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't well, think so, it has happened. <laughs> it's so sexist. You know, if that is where you get your value from instead of your brain and your personality, that's old fashioned sexism. It is. it is, where you're ironically. Not, yeah, you know, am I gonna be hot and window dressing or is there, you know, value in my IQ being much larger than my bra size? <laughs> it's a great switch on the, like, the the men have it so great like you still don't have to listen to a woman you never did you can just get her to like take all of her stuff off only starting much younger than even before Mm -hmm. um turns out women never get to talk no matter where they are (laughs) on stage in cuties wherever yeah, oh, but they do get to talk in the Stanford podcast. They do. That's right. I think we sh- I should. I should just start every here. phrase. I'm here. I'm going to start everything I say on this podcast with. Well, as a woman, here's yeah. what I, say. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should all do that. Just everything we say. Well, as a woman, I'd like to say this. <laughs> my girls, my girls already do that because we watched 
uh, W1A, which is available on Netflix. So before you cancel Netflix, go and watch all of W1A first. It's that spoof um, BBC documentary from the early 2000s. And one of the characters every few minutes says, um, I'm not trying to be pessimistic or anything, or I'm not trying to be offensive or anything, speaking as a woman. And then she goes on and says something really, really terrible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so my girls already do that. I've already trained them to, um, you know, speaking as a woman. Mm-hmm. Then you can say whatever funny you want. or anything, but, you know. It's really discouraging to, well, it's interesting actually to have teenagers and have them try to, to watch the, how, how it's going down. My boys are always bringing up their toxic masculinity in a really sardonic, like, you know, I'm sorry for my toxic masculinity. Can I, can I have a turn on the stove so that I don't starve to death? And um, that's funny. <laughs> there. <laughs> It's depressing, though. There's no, the men are not allowed to speak either, unless it's proved, and the women aren't allowed to speak. So, yay 2020. Yay 2020. It's been great so far. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I don't know how often we're going to be doing this. I think we should find out what our fans, you know, want if they want if they just just demand more then yeah yeah but um, i know that we'll be back at some point so i think everyone should uh push lots of stars on wherever Mm -hmm. this is posted i don't (laughs) even know (laughs) 